Welcome to the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins, and I'm going to share the real secrets of magic. Music is magical, and last week we talked about the Tin Roof Blues, which is my theme song for this particular podcast, Tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. And if you wonder why I'm using the Tin Roof Blues, then you didn't listen to last week's podcast. But this week I thought I would talk some more about magic music, starting from the very first public magic show that I did, which was in Del Rio, Texas, where I was born. It was in 1952, which means I was nine years old. You may have heard the story about how Misto the Magician performed for my dad's dance recital, the Cummins Colossal Circus. But what I probably didn't mention was that, yes, I had music in my first show. At the bottom of the souvenir program, it said, Piano by Esther Brown. And my dad no doubt set that up. Esther Brown played piano music for all of the Cummins Colossal Circus, I suppose, although I suspect Daddy also used uh, some recorded Dixieland circus music or some real circus music that we had on various records. I do remember that she played piano while Misto the Magician performed. I have no idea what song she played. All of that was set up by my dad, and I wish I knew. I don't, but that was my first public magic show, and yes, I had music. Now, by the time I was at Baton Rouge Junior High School and doing some uh, fairly significant stage shows, particularly at the school, my friend John Shakespeare was my tech guy, and he would play music for my show, and it was 33 and a third RPM records. Yes, he had a record player right backstage. And I can remember going to the record stores and looking through the classical music albums, and I still have some of those albums. My opening music was Procession of the Sardar. I wish I still had that record, but I don't. At some point, we digitized everything, so I have very little left in the way of some of that uh, analog musical content. But uh, I remember the song very well. Uh, the music would play. I would come out in cape and probably top hat, uh, waving a magic wand. The magic wand, I would tap my assistant's hand and a flower would appear. Or later, I used a flash wand that made a flash of fire. Uh, and then I would produce a bowl of fire, uh, all to this mysterious classical music. Ah, it was marvelous. Those were the days. But that was the first recorded music that I remember playing. Later I replaced that with a version of That Old Black Magic, not a vocal, not a Frank Sinatra or anybody, but a, a musical version of That Old Black Magic and I have always used for levitation effects the Song of India. Why? Because when I saw levitation effects uh, as a young magician, it seemed like they were always playing Song of India. So to me, it's just the perfect song for floating a girl in the air or even the zombie skull. By the time I was in high school, Baton Rouge High School, John and I had become friends with Rhett McMahon, who formed a recording studio in, well, I'd say in his home. They had a little house in the back of their home. 
I think it was originally intended as servants' quarters, but his parents let him use it, and he created a really nice recording studio, which he called Elite Productions. Rhett recorded all of our music. Instead of playing records, now we played tapes. But of course it was, uh, you know, it was a, a long reel-to-reel -reel tape. This is before cassettes became popular. And if you go back and listen to the podcast about the horror hops, well, those audio tapes that we recorded the commercials on, our background music for the uh, blackout, and all of our music was done on reel-to-reel -reel tapes. By the time I was in college at LSU, Louisiana State University, cassette tapes were still not a thing, not even close. I'm pretty sure that my friend John Shakespeare was still playing reel-to-reel -reel tapes as the music for my magic shows. I'm looking at our show sheet from one of those big shows back then, which would have been somewhere between 1961 and 1965, and it lists curtains, music, lights, the magician, Margot, John, Jen, and Carter. So we had rather a big full evening show, and among the things that John did was play the music. There was circus music at one point uh, for the Victory Girl production, and uh, it looks like we played Oriental for the head cremation illusion. No, head cremation was in a Persian market. We had lots of uh, fascinating recording, <laughs> recorded music. I have always thought that music made a magic show better. And even today, I have a little program on an iPad mini. But I'm getting ahead of the story because the next interesting music was in my floor shows in Germany while I was a lieutenant in the army and we had a fairly big floor show it was the magician two beautiful assistants and Cordovax Cordovax I believe was an Italian man a young man I can picture him and he had an accordion but he didn't just have an accordion that accordion had drums and horns and piano and all of the other musical sounds that you would want. And this was, remember, in 1967. So this was long before all of the amazing musical things that you have electronically today. It was the first time I had ever seen an accordion that included drums. He was a virtual one-man band. And although he looked like he was just playing accordion, the sound was like having a jazz trio. If I remember correctly, he asked me what songs I would like, and I told him things like Old Black Magic and Song of India, and he didn't know those songs, but uh, of course he learned them because he got paid to be my music for many of my shows. From Germany, I went to Vietnam I found that special services had a bunch of musical instruments that they had sent over, but nobody was playing them. So I found people in my company who knew how to play the various instruments, and we started a little band that we called the Warlocks. And of course, I was the master of ceremonies. I also did some magic and some juggling with basically stuff I could find in the supply room. I think I was able to do the rope trick, for example. I wrote some new words to some old songs. I can remember that 
sometimes going over well and sometimes not. But once again, there was music with the magic, even though it was wartime wizardry. Oh, let's go back to Elite Productions when I was still in Baton Rouge. This particular episode doesn't seem to be in any particular order after all. Although I thought it was going to be chronological, it's more like the order I think of things. I think I told you that I would go to the record stores and I would pick out classical music that looked like it might have magical sounds to it. And I particularly remember wanting In the Hall of the Mountain King because Peter Pitt had used that song on the Ed Sullivan Show for his dancing cane. Now, I've never performed the dancing cane, but I have used In the Hall of the Mountain King from time to time as a magic theme. Wonderful song. But this is the part I forgot to tell you, is one time I was in the record store looking through the records, and I found a record that had a photo of me on the cover in a obviously handmade uh, cover wrapping that said uh, the magic of Kent Cummins or the fantastic Kent Cummins or something like that. And Rhett and John had gone to Elite Productions into Rhett's recording studio, and they had taken all of the stuff that we had recorded for the horror hops and uh, some songs that I had written and the advertising that we had done and all of those things and just some fun songs that we had played. Uh, I can remember I wrote a song called The Vampire and it's bom 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 and it was a song about the vampire and john shakespeare famously played the clipboard as a percussion instrument when we recorded that lots of fun stuff in those elite productions files what they had done of course john and red they knew the owner of the record shop and so they had gotten him to just put it in there at a time that they knew that I was coming so that I would find it. That was really fun. And now we go back to 1970. In 1970, I was the manager of the Fort Dix Officers Club, which at the time was called the Fort Dix Officers Open Mess, FDOOM. They had floor shows, but they were losing money. And so they said we were going to have to stop having floor shows. They had them in the ballroom, which, I don't know, seated 300, 500, something like that, and they'd be lucky to get 50 people to go to the floor show. And so I changed the way we did it. I said, let's have them in the cocktail lounge, the little place where we normally might have a little jazz trio or something. It'll only hold about 80, 85 people. Let's squeeze a few more in and call it the Fadoom 100 Club. No more than 100 people can come. And by creating that marketing scarcity, we would sell out the floor show every time we had one. And I didn't have to pay for a Master of Ceremonies because I could do that myself. And then at the end of the year, we created a 33 and a third RPM record album called Memories of the Fadoom 100 Club. And it had the sound from a lot of my announcements and a lot of the floor shows and everything. And I may have told you that I played in a band when I was in high school and college. I played rock and roll piano, but I never played for myself because it's hard to do a magic trick when you're playing the piano. But one of our gigs was out at False River in Louisiana. I was the piano guy, and uh, when we took a break, then I would do a magic show during the band's break. So. That does combine magic with music, but in a very different way. 
And let's talk a little bit more about magic music. I want to talk about cassette tapes, which first became popular in the late 1970s. I remember when John Calvert came to town to do his show. He had this case with, I don't know, it must have been like 30 or maybe even more cassette tapes. And my friend James Caldwell, who was often my tech guy, was the tech guy for his show. And we all just laughed when we saw all these little cassette tapes. But they worked. And not only did we have the Calvert cassettes, but we had Cummins cassettes as well. Because during that same time frame, I had a separate cassette tape for each song that I used in my magic show. And we kept them all in a little case, carefully labeled, and that's where the music came from. I'll close with one last story about magic music. This was earlier in my days of performing in Austin, Texas, back in the days when I still wore a white tux with black lapels, which I had gotten originally made in Korea. I loved that costume, but my friends in my focus group told me that it was too old-fashioned and I needed to wear a standard black tux. And it turns out they were right. But they also told me that I needed to update my music, that my music was from the 50s or 40s. I needed to use more updated music. And one of my advisors was Ray Anderson, the Estrus Follies magician, who has a wonderful way of putting his magic to music. And uh, so I tried using much more updated music, and it just didn't work particularly for me. Updating the costume did, updating the music did not, because when I hear that old rock and roll music, or when I hear Dixieland music, it just inspires me inside. And so I use old-fashioned music, but you know what? I have kind of an old-fashioned magic show. Somebody's got to do it. And that's enough talk about music for now. Let's end this by going back into the Tin Roof Blues. I'm Kent Cummins. Join us next time for more tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. And if you'd like even more information, well, join us on our website fantasticmagiccenter.com Kid cannot preserve the secret legacy of magic without your support. Start today by going to fantasticmagiccenter.com and clicking the red Join Our Patreon button. <laughs>